Hello and welcome. I am your host, Michael Sherlock. Shocking, isn't it? I develop leaders and sales professionals all across the globe. I help them to tap into and achieve their true potential every day. I'm a business writer, speaker, and now host for this podcast, Shock Your Potential. Come on and join me. Let's learn and laugh together. Thank you for joining me again on another episode of Shock Your Potential, my little business podcast where I focus on excellence in leadership, sales, and the customer experience. Today, my guest has a company of her own, and it's called The Cars Group. Her name is Keisha Rivers, and we're going to talk about something... Well, actually, I definitely want to talk to her about her title, Chief Outcome Facilitator, because I think that sparks a lot of creative thought. But we're going to talk about how her business makes a difference in the world of other businesses. So thank you, Keisha, for joining me today. Thank you, Michael, for having me. I am excited about this. This is so fun. And I love looking at your, I was looking at your LinkedIn profile and you'll have to explain to me at some point about the eggs on your um, picture because I love it. (laughs) But, But let's not start exactly that with that. Let's start with, you know, tell us a little bit about you, your business, and what is your focus on how you shock your customers? Well, my business is called the Cars Group Limited, and Cars stands for Knowledge Always Reigns Supreme. And what I do is I work with my clients to solve problems. And in particular, I focus on the outcomes that they want to achieve. And then we backtrack, deconstruct to reconstruct to create a strategy and action plan. And then I focus primarily on creating these learning and development communities within companies and organizations so that they can work on achieving their goals. That's so impressive, especially, you know, your concept about knowledge and really focusing on that because we still in our business world and in some, a lot of times in our personal lives, we are still more reactionary and in the ability to slow down and really seek the right knowledge, seek the right background, the, the, those little details that you need to know about your business to move forward and make wise decisions. People aren't always taking the time to do that. No. And, and one of the key way, ways in which I shock my, my clients all of the time is that they figure, oh, I'm bringing in a consultant. She's going to develop our strategy. She's going to put together an action plan and she's going to do all of this for us. And I exactly. tell them, um, actually, <laughs> you're going to do all the work. You're just paying me to facilitate the process. And so my title as chief outcome facilitator comes from my background in education and, and business and nonprofit world. I realize that people look to all of these experts to do everything for them. And they don't take the time to do it for themselves and to go through actually internalizing the change and the process themselves. So I facilitate by asking questions. I'm the annoying person that will answer your question with a question. (laughs) (laughs) Which is the whole concept of my first book called Tell Me More. (laughs) Someone would come to me and say, what should I do? I'm like, tell me more until they really basically came up with the answer themselves. And they go, wow, I'm so brilliant. (laughs) And, And so often when we allow people to do that, then we remove that, that what I call the, um, the fallback, the fallback of having that comfort um, level of saying, well, you know what? It wasn't really my idea. Exactly. It was your idea. So if it doesn't work, I don't have any responsibility in it. It's yours. It's that darn consultant that we hired. Exactly. Um, and, and by doing it this way, 
they come up with the the direction and the answer. I can facilitate the process by asking them questions and kind of nudging them in certain directions to get them to realize certain things. But the key to it all is that they learn to trust themselves in terms of understanding. I don't have to have all the answers, but I just have to know the right questions to ask. Absolutely. That, and that is, I mean, that's exactly what I write about in my first book. And, and I, so I'm, I'm following you completely. And it was funny before you even said that, that was going to be my comment is, you know, over the years when I was doing consulting and people ask me now, do you consult? And I, I always say, no, they, they look at me funny and say, no, that's, that's not how I operate. Cause I, I operate with a similar platform that you do, um, but more in speaking in, in groups and trainings rather than consulting, because mm-hmm. of that very thing that if you are the quote unquote consultant and you come in and you create it, they can either accept it or not, but most times they don't because mm-hmm. there's a disconnect. There's not a feeling of true connection and buy-in to the process, even though it might be the best thing for them. Yes, exactly. And and it's funny that you say you don't consult anymore because I tell people I don't consult. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so we're on the same page with that. <laughs> Words are so powerful though. Words are absolutely so powerful. They are. And I, the reason I said that is um, many years, I've had, I've owned my own company three times. Uh, one, when I was too young to know better in terms of what my true potential was in the world. I, you know, I lived in a small little spot in the inland Northwest on other side of the country. And I saw my potential as just that little part of the world. The second time I had my consulting firm, I did too much for my clients. I, Mm. I, I did everything for them. And there was the sense of, oh, well, Michael will take care of it. Oh, well, Michael will take care of it. And Mm -hmm. we never got them to traction to move themselves forward. And I was exhausted. You know, it was great. I got a lot done. I made people a lot of money, but in the end I was like, boy, I care more about your business than you do. So, yes. So this time around, you know, just speaking and doing the podcast and, and, you know, doing trainings that are, that people come to me and say, specifically, we need you to help us do, you know, transition through this program and come up with ideas. I'm the, I see it the same way you do facilitating that, helping them to pull out, but also the ability to look from a, a perception and a perspective that's, that's withdrawn and removed so that we mm-hmm. can ask tougher questions yeah. <laughs> and do it without being offensive. But how have people find that realization? That's, I think that's fabulous. And then to help them create where they go from that. Yes, absolutely. Cause I, I've, all of my years, I, I was an educator. I mean, once an educator, always an educator, but you know, I taught at various levels for over 12 years and what, was imperative to me and so important in terms of this is is helping my students to be able to construct their own knowledge and construct their own ways of of questioning the world and looking at the world. And I brought that, I, I came back into my sweet spot with that with my clients because just like you, I was miserable going through this thing of, okay, I feel like I'm like, this is mine. Like, why do I care more about what happens with your business or your organization than Absolutely. you do? You know, why am I so invested in it? And I realized that my passion was great, but because I was so passionate about it, I was doing more of the heavy lifting. And so when I left, most of the things that I helped them implement basically got trashed or it got thrown out the window. This is too hard or, you know, we can't keep this up. And, you know, and because they didn't have someone to hold their hand, they weren't keeping up with what we had talked about. And so now with this approach, it's amazing to see 
the transformation because now I don't go in saying, I'm going to consult with you on this. Now they come to me and I ask them, what is your focusing question Mm -hmm. in terms of what do you want to have happen? And then we work around, you know, how to develop um, understanding your SWOT, you know, your strengths, weaknesses, outcomes, and threats, how to understand your vision of where you want to get to and what that looks like, how to deconstruct your vision in order to reconstruct your action plan. I mean, it's, and I teach them the process so they can replicate that within their organization when they bring on new people. And when they find themselves at a crossroad, I said, you guys should be doing a check-in with this one, a, you know, a mini check-in once a quarter, but a big check-in at least twice a year. So that you know that you're still on the right on the right path. Ideally, I would love for them to do it, you know, beginning of the year, mid year point, and at the end of the year. But I mean, it's it's great in that I'm a lot happier. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you're not pulling your own hair out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and you know, and my clients, they're they're they feel more empowered. And I, I don't like to use the word empowered because I feel like everyone already has their power in them. You just have to uncover it. But they feel like they've tapped into that. And they are more comfortable and confident with taking risks within their own organization as a result. And I think that's, you know, for me, the the role that I really love, especially when I speak or I train in a larger format is for me, I can ask the questions that people have on their mind, or I can voice the the fears or concerns that they have. And they can say, oh yeah, oh yeah, I can see how you'd think that. It gives them some safety and security to also start to dabble their toes in, okay, what does this mean and how do I have outcomes? And I don't know if you've found this to be the case, but I know that different groups and organizations and businesses that I've worked with still struggle every day. I know I did in you know many of my positions with you know, the day-to-day pulls my focus more than the planning and executing. Mm-hmm. And yet if you don't plan and execute, your day-to-day focus is only microscopic. So your yes. company never grows. You don't grow as an individual as fast as you can. You definitely mm-hmm. don't grow your team as fast as they can. But it's really hard to pull people's focus out of that micro, you know, microscopic vision to step back and say, okay, what what do I have to do to move my company forward or our mission forward? How do you help and them the do that? Actually, the great part about it is I've actually, I I trick them. Good. I love it. (laughs) I always love that kind of stuff. Um, (laughs) Tell me more. What I do is, what I do is the process, I've I've got a five-step process to facilitated outcome. And I teach them the process because everybody loves steps Mm -hmm. and they like saying, you know, five steps to six figures and five steps to success and all this other stuff. So I tell them, I said, these are the five rules. This is what you always do. And I tell them it first starts with your vision, your mind movie of success. And I tell them you have to take some time and visualize what happens, but not visualizing in terms of a vision board and everything. I said, you need to sit for, you know, and everybody does this individually on the team. And you have to imagine that Good Morning America or the Today Show or Oprah or someone found out about, or Ellen, they found out about you. And they wanted to come and follow you around with a camera crew for a day. Beautiful. And they wanted to see your department, your company, your organization, whatever it is that you're looking to to change or enhance. They have they're going to see it, and they want to follow you around and see it for 24 hours. Oh boy! So what are they going to see from the moment you open your eyes to the moment you clo- and wake up to the moment you close your eyes and go to sleep? Oh boy, that could be very frightening and- for a lot of people. <laughs> 
Right. And what this does is one, because I start at their house when they open their eyes and they get out of bed to the moment they go to sleep at home by themselves, they are no longer seeing just the team and other people. They're seeing their interaction with the team. They're seeing their interaction with clients. They're seeing their interaction with problems and their interaction in meetings. And I tell them from the moment you wake up, how do you start your day? What do you eat? How do you get dressed? What do you listen to in the morning? How are you shaping your mind? How do you get to work? Are you going to an office? Are you working remotely? I mean, I ask them all of these detailed questions because I want them to see how they prepare and how they set the, they set the tone for the day based on how they get started. That is, that's fantastic on a number of levels. Also, because it makes it personal and that's where mm-hmm. change has to happen is each individual. Yes. You know, you can't just say as a company, we're going to change our vision. We're going to change our mission. We're going to change direction. You can say it all you want, but unless the individuals who make that up choose to pivot with you, then you're not going yes. to move. So it really puts it back in their court of what's my responsibility in this. Right. And especially if when we're moving throughout the day and I ask them about the meetings that they're having, what is it that they're doing at, you know, at their desk or, you know, on their phone or, or, you know, when they're creating materials, they have to go through and be very, very detailed. So as they're being detailed, what ends up happening is they are, they're seeing how they fit within the bigger picture. And, and I have them write it out as a narrative. I said, imagine you're reading a novel and you, you know, you have to give all the details about tastes and smells and senses and, and colors and, 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 and feelings and emotions and, and, and internal thoughts and, and external thoughts, all of that. So when they, they write this and they're very detailed, then the next step is we go back to that and we pick out different aspects of it. So if we're talking about um, leadership meetings or team meetings or team trainings or what have you, I have them focus on individual pieces. And I said, okay, the question you ask is what is needed to make that happen? Not what do you need to do? Not does what, what does somebody else need to do? Not what do we need? <laughs> no. What is needed to make that happen? Beautiful, which takes, takes the uh, emotion out of it, but it still keeps it personal enough. Yes. Very good. Right. And so we go back and we, and that's the deconstruct to reconstruct process. Every single aspect, what is needed to make that happen? Write down that one thing. Look at that thing. What is needed to make that happen? And you, you gradually pull out all of the pieces so that at the end you get to what is your starting point. Mm -hmm. Very good. And by doing this, now you reconstruct in terms of understanding the steps that you need to take, the action steps you need to take to be able to get to your ultimate goal. This way, there's no wasted time. There's no wasted effort. You're not all over the place because you have a blueprint of all of the steps that are needed to make this thing that you visualized happen. And by having each one of them go through this process individually, with the mind movie, then they come together as a group and they share their their mind movies. Because unless you have a shared vision of everybody understanding that we're all going to get to the same destination, everybody's going to be moving in different directions. And how how open are they to sharing that? Because, you know, that's always the tricky part is, you know, people want to hide the parts that aren't perfect. We want to live in the perfect picture in Instagram world. And yet, mm-hmm. you know, the reality of this is, you know, being able to, you know, bear yourself to say, here's areas where I know I have to up my game in order to help the overall mission. Do people struggle with that when you get them together? 
Well, initially, there's another part of the process I go through, which is an, um, an individual SWOT. Um, where they look at their individual strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. And then we also look at the team and then we look at the organization as a whole. Um, so their feedback from the very beginning before I come in and do anything with them, I get their feedback and I, I lay this foundation of their voice being very important and that we can't function and we can't grow and we can't develop unless everybody's on 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 the same page. And so it takes some time, especially if I'm going into an organization where the culture of trust is not there, the teamwork and the team building is not there, um, they don't feel as if they're valued. So there sometimes are a lot of other issues that need to be addressed before we can get down to the nitty gritty of figuring out the outcomes. But the organization or the company wants the outcomes first. Mm -hmm. So I Absolutely. usually have to convince <laughs> the stakeholders, you know, the ones that brought me in, hey, this process is necessary if you want to get to that. Right. Um, and it's important and because if you, like you said, if you don't take those steps, you don't get the full buy-in and pull through. And yet getting to those does require uh, the stakeholders to suspend their disbelief as well a little bit mm -hmm. and be able to trust in a longer term process to get to a solution. So I, I use a phrase, you know, a, this is very similar to my leadership style is, you know, I always say this, it takes a lot more energy and time and attention, but the payoff mm -hmm. is, is so much vastly larger, but you have right. to put the investment into it in order to see the results. Yes. And the, I'm dealing with an organization that um, I, I started working with and the key to it is one of the more difficult things that I find is when you have team members that recognize that things need to change and that there has to be a, a shift and, and the things that I'm talking about, that we're talking about, they're like, oh my gosh, this is it. We really want to do this. <laughs> but then you have people who are, who are established in leadership yes. who have been in the company forever and like, well, this is the way we've always done it. Yes. And this is the way, and this is what we did before. <laughs> and, it, and people are like pulling their hair out mm -hmm. going, you know what? we're not going to get anything done because as soon as we introduce, this is the way we all want to do it. And everybody else is on board. Mm -hmm. This person comes in and throws a grenade in the middle of it and blows it all up and everybody gets frustrated and goes back to their respective silos. Absolutely. Yeah. I've seen it so, time and time again too. And then, you know, as someone like us who comes in, we're just like, okay, can I just tape you, <laughs> you know, tape your mouth shut and stick you in a corner for a bit so that you don't do this. And it's almost like we end up staging a mini mutiny mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and they have no choice but to get on because they can't get rid of everybody. Right. Um, so it, you know, that, that's, that's the balancing act because, you know, I've had to have several heart to hearts with people like that and go, look, if you want it turn this around, you have to let them do what they do and let me do what I do. I always say, um, you know, when I, especially I've, I've gone through a couple very massive uh, turnaround and very large sales organizations. And uh, so, you know, in that case, when you're coming up on salespeople who've done it their way and they like their thing, they like their autonomy. Mm -hmm. um, I always say, you know, there's, there's a couple things that are not, these are phrases that are not allowed in my vicinity. Do not say them or I will come unglued. And one is, but we've always done it that way. Oh. Uh, because to me, you know, when you talk about an open or a closed mindset, you know, that just shuts every door in your face. And so, you know, they are, you know, people are like, oh my God, we can't say that. I'm like, I, I'm not asking you not only to not say it, I need you to not think it. 
because progress means we can't just look at what we've always done or we'll end up with, you know, obviously the saying, you'll end up with the results you always get, but I don't think people really Mm -hmm. think through what that means. You know, do the way you always done, you'll get what you always, you know, the results you've always had, but you won't always look at our changing world in brick and mortar retail, you know, look at our world in terms of, um, you know, we dealt with a product uh, the last 10 years before I uh, left my last industry with a product that, you know, didn't, it had a lot of regulations. And so there was a lot of safety and security um, in terms of the the uh, distribution of this product. It's not there anymore. You know, in the last year, everything's turned upside on its head. And, you know, t- in order to to move and be fluid, you have to look past what we've always done and say, okay, well, that worked for 30 years. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the next 30 years, it's going to change 15 more times at least. How do we prepare yeah. for it? And and isn't it funny that the organizations that have had the longest run of longevity and sustainability are the ones that are the least resistant to change? If they've been doing it a certain way and it's always worked, it's like, well, we've got a we've got a model that's worked for the past 10 or 15 years. And I'm like, yeah, but do you not see how everything else is changing around you in the mm-hmm. world and that you need to adapt or you're going to become extinct? Yeah. And and I think I understand it to some point because, you know, if you have had something that's worked for 30 years, there is a sense of kind of peace and day-to-day, you know, progress with that. So I, I kind of get it. So I try to be, I always try to be, you know, I don't know, I, I guess at least listen and smile and nod and then slowly ask them questions that that raise their awareness to say, oh my gosh, well, I guess it's not working as well as it did. Okay, well, that, okay, right. let's look at that one until you kind of slowly, it's like touching a skittish horse, <laughs> you, you yeah. know, is just to open your eyes to the point that you can look around and see without the blinders on. And that's that's where you start to hit that crossroads of change. Right. And and it's all it's all in the questions that you Absolutely. ask. It's all in understanding and being open to the potential of the possibility Absolutely. that maybe there's something else. And I and I always go in and I tell them, I'm not gonna throw out everything you've always done. I'm not gonna do that. I find that it's best if you take the best practices and the best aspects of what it is that can be adapted to what's coming based on the vision that you have of where you're trying to get to. And then we can pull this together into something that is going to make your organization not only sustainable for the next 30 years or the next 10 years or so, but it'll also make you able to be to enhance what you do and, and to be able to have more of an impact. Absolutely. Because you're, you're able to adjust to the way the world is changing. Yes. And I think that's the, that's the joy in it. So it's, you know, it's fun. I I can tell you love doing what you do just like I do. It's it, there's a passion there and there's a a great feeling of success when you can get an individual, a team, a company, an organization from one spot to the next and have them really embrace it because it's theirs. Mm -hmm. So let me turn it a little bit more personal. So one of the things that I love to focus on is different experiences that you've been the recipient of or that you've witnessed or that you've, you know, personally been invested in that have helped shape the way you try to shock your clients. So, you know, is there, do you have an individual uh, leadership or sales or customer service experience that you have been the recipient of that really shocked you in a positive way? Actually, it was my second grade teacher. Oh, I'm going (laughs) to love this story. Oh, this is going to be a good one. I'm ready. Bring Um, it on. Uh, I I learned how to read when I was four, 
And I was very energetic. I was very precocious. I was always questioning. I was the original ADHD. Oh, I, of, you know, I love um, it even more. <laughs> so, so back in those days, you know, and I'm dating myself, but back in those days, it was the, you know, the kids are sitting in the rows and they do the worksheets and the teacher is at the top and you're quiet unless you're spoken to and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Well, yeah. That was not going to work for me. Um, so I think by I the time, this child. <laughs> yeah. So by the time I got to first grade, I could read books by myself. I could. I was writing. I was, you know, playing these games in my head with, you know, what is, what about this, and what if this, and why is the sky blue, and you know, all of that. So when I got to school, and I was so excited because I used to play school oh, with yeah. my stuffed animals and all that. So I got to school and I'm, I'm, I go in and I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, there's all these other kids for me to play with. This is awesome. <laughs> and, you know, and the teacher, you know, sits us down and she gives us these worksheets. Well, I mean, I'm done with this thing. By the time she gets, she gets to, she gives me my worksheet and she goes to finish passing it out and gets to the front of the class. I'm done. And I'm standing in front of her holding out my worksheet, <laughs> like here. Oh, and she's like, okay, Keisha, you need to. You need to give the other kids time to do theirs. Now I'm looking around. I'm the first one finished. There's nothing else for me to do. Yeah. Why do I have so to? Of course, I might I have to hold myself back for them. Right. <laughs> so I want to help the other kids so they can finish quicker. So I have somebody to play with, right? So you know, this the, the poor teacher. I, I I love her absolutely. I've loved her, you know, forever. But I would go and I would I would you know help the other kids, which means I would you know show them how to do it or do it for them so they could come out and we can go play and do some other stuff. And and I remembered my mother keeping all of my report cards and she had them like from first grade and it starts out, Keisha is a delight to have in class. She's very precocious. She's very, you know, enthusiastic, da, 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 and, you know, really looking forward to the great year. But then it says, you know, Keisha, Keisha tends to not do seat work as much as she should. And, and she's always willing to help the other children, but sometimes she needs to let them do things on their own. Oh. And then the next one, it's like, you know, Keisha talks a little bit too much and maybe she should learn how to let the other kids kind of do things on their own and, and maybe bring a book to class oh so that she can have something else to do. And by the end, it was like all in red and caps. Keisha talks entirely too much. She needs to learn how to do seat work. She's disrupting my class. I mean, all in red blocks with everything underlined <gasps> Triple, I mean, oh my like, gosh. Okay. So they started sending me to the library. Like when I would get done, oh. I would go to the library. I'd be the only kid in there. Oh. It was like a kid in a candy store. I was, it was amazing. Oh, I thought you were going to say and it felt I, like punishment. So I'm glad you felt no, you enjoyed it. I could, I could read and, and, and I had access to all the books. I mean, the librarian didn't limit me to, oh, well, you're in first grade, so you can only read from this section. She let me explore everything. Fabulous. So I had access to the films and all of that kind of stuff. And then when I got to second grade, they identified me as um, gifted and talented. And they had a, a program that they pulled you out half the yep. day called Students yep. Actively Involved in Learning. It was the SAIL program. Nice. And my second grade teacher was from Tallahassee, Florida. She was just beginning her teaching career. I'm connected to her on Facebook to this day. And she came in and she just questioned. She asked me, what is it that you want to learn? What do you want to get out of this? If you could ask any question at all, what would you ask? And then she would say, okay, so how do we find out about that? She was never the one that was standing up saying she had all the answers. She was always telling me, you have the answers and the, and the capability and the capacity to go out and find the answers to the questions that you create that is and the problems that you want to solve. So from second grade, 
I was doing these independent studies. We we worked on group things, like we wrote plays and performed them. We did, she had partnerships developed with the, the local news stations. And at second grade, I was doing, you know, the lunch menus was a big deal during the weather, right after the weather. Oh, I love it. So, I was on television on the local news broadcast, you know, in the morning telling people what, you know, Charleston County schools were going to have for breakfast and lunch and dinner, you know, and lunch during the week and what the weather was going to look like. And I thought nothing of it. That yeah, I was you on just television. thought that was normal. Yeah. Right. Who, who um, doesn't do this? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so it, it was funny because, and, and I remember my first independent study was on whales and dolphins, which are still my favorite animals to this day. <laughs> and, and, and so when I started teaching, I started, I, I modeled my classroom after that constructivist, constructing your own knowledge. And now when I go in and I'm working with people in teams, it's about constructing, constructing your own vision of what this looks like, constructing your own learning community and, and your growth community. What is this going to look like for your organization based on what it is that you want to achieve? And, and that was, that ingrained in me very early on. It doesn't matter what you're trying to do you have the capacity as long as you understand the right questions to ask to be able to get there. I love that. And what a what a way to, you know, especially you said that she was a new teacher, to have faith in herself, to trust, to not be perfect, but just to let mm-hmm. her students reign supreme. So when you talk about knowledge always reigns supreme, yep. you know, the questioning, the the delight in finding out and seeking out knowledge you know, what kind of an empowerment did, I mean, what an amazing story. I love that. Yeah. And and the great thing is, and the reason I say knowledge always reigns supreme because information is static. Okay. We have tons of information at our fingertips. You can Google anything and find it on the internet. Yes. But knowledge is dynamic. Knowledge is the application and the questioning and the picking out, picking apart and the molding of that information to be able to have it do something. To make it workable for you, to impact you. Yes. Exactly. And so many organizations run into problems because they try to take information and just stick it on top of whatever it is they're doing and they don't turn it into knowledge because knowledge becomes internal. Yes. It's something that you can't separate from the individual person. And so my whole thing is I try to, to facilitate the whole process of knowledge acquisition and knowledge creation and knowledge cultivation within my my clients' organization. I love it. I think that is that is so fabulous. And I love the fact you're still connected with her because, you know, with somebody like that, she impacts you. She's probably impacted thousands and thousands of kids. But what she did was, you know, create a whole new level of excitement and empowerment at almost like a cellular level. That's just fantastic. I really love it. Yeah. And when I first um, reconnected with her, it was interesting because I found her on, um, I think she found me on Facebook. um, And she was like, is this the Keisha Rivers that was in second grade? And I was like, yes. And, and, you know, her name, her last name had changed because she'd gotten married. And I was like, oh my gosh. And so and, and every so often, you know, I'll do things or I'll post things. And, and she sent me this note, you know, inboxed me this private message once. And she said, I'm sitting here in tears because all these years later, the little girl that I saw in second grade who was so full of life and who was so inquisitive and who was just this dynamic ball of energy, she said, I could not even fathom the potential of what you've become. 
And and she said to know that because she's listened to some of my interviews and I always credit her with being the reason why, you know, I got into teaching and, and I started doing things the way that I'm doing it and how now I'm marrying what I know about education with nonprofit and business and, and all of that. And, and she just says, you know, to, to look at what you've done and then how you have the ripple effect that you have on the organizations and the people that you work with. She said, I'm just floored <laughs> at how much the one thing that I did is like turned into this huge thing that has this ripple effect and touches so many people across the country. She's the, uh, and I hate to say wind beneath my wings, but you know, it's that the, the yeah. butterfly, the wind, you know, moves the butterfly along yep. and the world gets changed in the process. And that's, uh, that's pretty, that's very, yep. I love that. That's wonderful. So as we get near the end here, then my last question I always ask is knowing what you know now, what would you tell your younger you, if you could go back and talk to her at any point in time in your life and that would shock your potential further, faster, or, uh, kept you on the exact same path that uh, got you here today? I would tell her because when I was younger, I was always this dynamic and, and questioning and bold and, and everything else. I'm like, well, this is why does it have to be done that way? And, and so on. And then it wasn't until after I got to college um, where I started kind of pulling back because there were these other voices that were telling me, well, no, you shouldn't do it this way. And, you know, these other people know better and so on. So I would tell my younger self, stay true to that inner voice because it took me about 20 years mm. of getting back to that inner voice. I mean, I, she'd come out in little spurts every so often. And whenever I found her, I was at my most happy and I was at my most you know, productive and, and more successful and, and doing all of these things. But I would tell her, that inner that inner voice that is the essence of who you are don't let anybody cause you to question that i think that's that's important advice for us all to hear because everyone suffers from that at certain times you know where you let the world kind of dictate your thought process or where you feel you fit and mm -hmm. you know to to see it the great thing is that you can look back now and see when you got your voice back and that's what makes the difference for you today. But the realization of that, I think, is important for a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of people at different ages. I think it's going to be interesting to see where this, you know, millennial generation um, really falls because there's a sense at the beginning almost that they, you know, questioned everything and then maybe didn't question enough. And you know, I'm really seeing, you know, a whole different mindset, you know, evolve. And it's fun to see that. But there's things that we can all learn from it in terms of how we trust ourselves, what voice we listen mm -hmm. to when we have our voice and how we use our voice. Yes. No, I, I absolutely love it because there has to be, like I always say that, you know, change is a process that begins with an event. And a lot of times the event is something tragic that happens or something, you know, that happens that causes you to go, whoa, I didn't expect that. Absolutely. But so many times if change can happen because of an event that starts because of a question that was asked. Yes. Absolutely. It, it's amazing the, the path that you can go on. And what you can find and learn in the process that you would have never known without that event, that trigger, that question. Exactly. Wonderful. Well, Keisha, thank you so much for being on my podcast today. It has been a pleasure to visit with you. Thank you for having me. This has been fun. <laughs> well, very good. Well, and people can find out about you at thecarsgroup.com and that would be K-A-R-S uh, for Knowledge Always Reigns Supreme. So carsgroup.com, did I get that correct? Yes, carsgroup.com. 
Wonderful. And also connect with you on LinkedIn. All of your contact information will be in the show notes for everybody to find. And I wish you continued success in what you do. And uh, we'll look forward to uh, seeing your progress as you continue on this journey. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I loved it. Fabulous. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Shock Your Potential. Learn more today about my book, Tell Me More, and about me at shockyourpotential.com and shockyourpotentialpodcast.com. Make it a great day.